It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Dr. Veronica Anderson is an MD, and for her that means many dimensions. She's a surgeon, a mother, a black belt, and a two-time marathon runner, here to talk to you about your health, your happiness, and your world. It's Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. Yes, here I am again. This is Dr. Veronica. I'm going to talk about your health and your happiness and your world, and today... We're going to do some what we call touchy-feely stuff. But guess what? Some of this touchy-feely stuff actually works really well. And me, as a Western-trained doctor, I like hard research on some of these things, too. And we have a woman who's going to give us some hard research on these things. Um, We have, I believe, we're going to have two guests with us. Um, We are going to have with us, we hope, from a featured teacher in The Secret, Hale Dwoskin, Dwoskin, I'm not sure. We hope to have him on. We're having some difficulties right now getting him on the line. But also, we have a woman who has written a book about a new way to diet. Now, you guys know I hate the word diet because it has dye on the front of it. And I think this woman probably agrees with me, but her book is called The Self-Compassion Diet. Her name is Jean Fain. She is affiliated with the institution that everybody in the United States loves, Harvard. I'm a Princeton girl, so Harvard's kind of like my, you know, nemesis. But she wrote a book about how to lose weight through loving kindness. And guess what? I'm like saying, okay, this sounds kind of weird. How do you just be loving and kind and all of a sudden you drop the pounds? But guess what? Research has shown that people who use these methods actually lose more weight and tend to keep it off. So this is something that's a subject that we all need to talk about a lot because I keep telling you practically every disease that we know on the earth is associated with excess weight and obesity. And so when you start to try to get well, one of the first things you do is have to assess what your weight is and is it too high. So... I'm going to get right into this woman, Jean Fane. I don't know if you can see the book here. I'm like webcasting too. The Self-Compassion Diet. Jean is a psychotherapist and teaches at the Cambridge Health Alliance, which is affiliated with Harvard Medical School. Um, And I know that she has had some weight issues herself, like many of us have had weight issues. Um, And it's one of those type of things where you want to figure out how to do it because guess what? I want to look good. But I realize it's about more than just looking good. I notice that it's about health and wellness now. We want to wear our bikini. Summer's coming now. We're going into the spring. But guess what? Things like diabetes and high blood pressure and cancer and all those types of things are associated with excess weight and obesity. Yes, even breast cancer is associated with that. And we know that people who are healthy weight actually heal faster and tend to have less recurrences of things like cancer. So it is important how many times they have to tell you. But guess what? I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but I really want to get Jean Jean into this. Jean, are you with us? Hello, Dr. Veronica. Hi. How are you? Thanks for being on Wellness for the Real World. My pleasure. Now, Here's my question for you. Let's start by, you have this book, The Self-Compassion Diet, just came out, looks really beautiful. Thank you. You, you guys have to see this book. It has this, this, these hands holding strawberries on the front, and strawberries, berries are just good brain food. And so maybe if people eat strawberries, they'll be smarter about their weight loss. But let's, let's talk a little bit about the self-compassion diet. Now, first, I'd like to know people's journey and how they got here. Just because 
I know you're an expert on this, but we like to know that our people are real people, that they can relate to what's going on. So I read, I, don't, I, I read so much stuff. I probably read about you first in the newspaper or something. I just I, I read across the Internet and came across you. And I, you have had your own weight issues. Is that true? That's true. I gained weight in my late teens, and it was such a miserable experience. I was determined to learn how to lose weight and keep it off so I would never be that miserable again. Ah. And I did. I did it. I figured it, it out. You did yeah. it. Now, let me just ask, what do you think at that point? You're saying in your late teens, was it you went off to college and gained your freshman 10, 15, 20, or whatever, or was there some other issue that was going on in your life that you believe contributed to your weight gain? Uh, it was actually after my sophomore year, so I missed the freshman 15 or 10, whatever it is, and I was traveling through Europe, and I expected to see amazing sights, which I did, but I never expected to encounter so much loneliness and depression and anxiety. Eating had always been a comfort, but it became my main comfort, my best uh, coping strategy. So instead of feeling lonely, depressed, or anxious, I ate chocolate and cookies and cake. And I don't even <laughs> like chocolate. <laughs> but wow, sweets, worked, sweets worked better than Valium. So I felt better, but I gained weight. Got it. Now, you said you were traveling through Europe when this was going on? Yes. So you're traveling, you're having this wonderful experience, it sounds like. Most of us would love to go travel through Europe. What else was yes. going on that made you lonely and depressed? Well, it was the first time that I was away from my family and away from all my friends. You know, no, uh, I was traveling on my own. And um, uh, a woman traveling alone in Europe at age 19, that's pretty stressful, even if it sounds glamorous. Uh, it's kind <laughs> of stressful, especially in Italy, where the men are whistling at you day and night. See now that just sounds fun to me, but um, I wasn't at I wasn't in Italy at at nineteen. I was at Italy in much older, and so it was yes. quite charming. Um, yes. So you gained? Were you normal? You were normal weight, I presume, and you gained yes. how much? I'm not sure because who really weighs themselves at their heaviest? But I'm guessing, say twenty twenty five pounds. Okay. But that's a significant amount, enough that you're feeling like it's a lot. Exactly. And how long did you keep on the weight? When did you get to just the point the, where you said, I gotta, I, I just, I feel miserable and I got to get rid of this? Well, when I came back and uh, I graduated from college, um, then I had the time and space to focus on healthy behaviors and um, to go on the journey that I'm actually still on. You know, my weight's been stable for decades, but there was a lot to learn, and there was no one to learn it from. Most of my friends were on every diet under the sun, and I certainly tried my share, Atkins, Weight Watchers, whatever. But, um, you know, those work in the short term, but they certainly don't help with long-term sustainable weight loss. And over time, I added exercise, and I learned other things that kept me learning and uh, helped me keep my body healthy, fit, and well. Um, so if, only, now, if only I had a teacher like myself back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, the wisdom we all know is really in us, but yes. tell me where – so you tried all these other traditional plans that that, yes. that you mentioned, the name plans. Yeah. How did you come around to this compassion thing? Because, and then tell me how you came around to it, and then you're going to have to explain to us what exactly is compassion. Because you use these big terms, compassion means yeah. what? So I don't know which you want to explain for first, but how did you come around to loving kindness? Well, yeah, let's start with a simple definition so people know what I'm talking about. Self-compassion is simply treating yourself like a friend or a loved one with care and concern. Um, and there are more technical scientific definitions that can be helpful, but um, in general, I when I went back to graduate school to study psychology, I learned everything I could about health, happiness, and sustainable weight loss. 
And um, eventually I bumped into the scientific literature on self-compassion, which was so very exciting and compelling, I felt moved to write this book called The Self-Compassion Diet. Okay. Now, let me just ask this question. And, uh, oh, everybody, my co-host Russell is on the line, too. Hi, Russell. Are you there? I don't know if you're on there. Hello, Veronica, and hello, Jean. I'm glad you're with us. Great. I'm very interested to hear you. Yes, I mean, so Russell's going to jump in and ask questions that I don't necessarily <laughs> think of because we want to try to draw out all the bits we can for our audience. So, but Russell's been, you know, working on some other stuff behind the scenes. But let's let's get back to compassion. Here is the thing um, that is just interesting to me. You say now there's a lot of exciting research going on out there in compassion. How do you research compassion? You're talking about loving towards yourself. How do you research that, actually? Well, uh, a psychologist named Kristen Neff down in Texas came up with a scale to measure self-compassion. And um, you can take the test or the scale beforehand, practice some um, tried and true practices that enhance compassion, and then take the test. Uh, or scale again, and lo and behold, people report feeling calmer and happier and more loving toward themselves, and that is reflected in their score on this scale. And now, well, how Jean, do you? I, Go ahead, Russell. Uh, well, I was just going to jump in. You see, I'm I'm really. Um, Veronica actually stumbled onto your book and and um, and um, sent information about it to me. And frankly, as soon as I saw the title and read the title, I thought, "Wow!" I thought that makes all the sense in the world. I I happen to be a meditator myself, mm-hmm. and um, it's um, you know compassion is something that I have found in my own you know little journeys to be the most powerful thing. I'm not sure really what you would. It seems to me the difference between compassion and self-compassion is 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 just a bit of language, really. It's it's. Yeah. Um, but but you're using it in terms of a diet. That that kind of implies to me something that I think is probably true, which is that if you're, uh, you know, hurting your body with food or other substances or what have you, then it's kind of an abusive act it's not a loving act towards yourself would you say exactly. that exactly not very not very compassionate to stuff yourself so you're so uncomfortable and bloated um it's much kinder to eat to the point of comfortable fullness and then stop and move along to other activities well now let me just let me just get a bit bit of bookkeeping here i'll i'll call it bookkeeping when we talk here about self compassion i would just say that this is America. Most of us grow up with a Judeo-Christian view of things, and you're not supposed to worry about yourself and be nice to yourself. Self-sacrifice is the order of the day. You're supposed to be nice to everybody else but not yourself. Exactly. So how do you get America where it's, it's, it's noble? You know, you have religions where they do the self-mortification and they beat themselves. It's for, true. Okay, so... This is how America thinks. This is how especially women think. I'm not supposed to think about me. I'm not supposed to love me. I come last. How do we turn around people's thinking and make them feel okay with loving themselves first? Well, first of all, they have to acknowledge that uh, uh, beating themselves up is painful. And it's not really working that well for their own health and well-being. And it's not working that well for uh, taking care of others. When you feel miserable, it's hard to be loving toward your children and your family. And if you're in enough pain, perhaps you'll open your mind and question, is this really working, or might I be interested in another kinder, gentler way? Well, I think people are interested in a kinder, gentler way, but you have been told all your life that that's not how it's supposed to be done. Take it from it's one. My, like I tell people, my name is Veronica because I was born Catholic. They're the ones with self-mortification and all that other things. Yes. You know, so um, it's just, you know, they're the ones that you know, the virgins and saints who have suffered are the people yes. who are the people that we bow down to, the ones that are 
the Mother Teresas of the world who are living in these horrible conditions are the people that we lift up and think are wonderful. And, I mean, if you read people like Mother Teresa's memoir, she talks about how bad she felt a lot of the times. Mm. And we somehow think that this is wonderful. So yes. I'm just, I, I, I believe in this self-compassion thing, obviously, or I wouldn't. Well, I try to have all kinds of people on, even when I disagree, I'll say. Uh-huh. But I, I, I do ask Russell. I'm good about that. I get mad behind the scenes, but I still give him a voice. Okay. Um, so but you like the idea, and it goes against much of what you've learned growing up. It's radical, and yet it makes a lot of sense. If you um, are kinder to yourself, You can stop counting calories and carbohydrates and points, whatever you're counting, and um, you can lose weight and gain health and happiness by treating yourself with kindness. That sounds rather appealing, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, well, I've I've discovered through through meditation, um, you know, I've done exercises in compassion, kind of assignments Mm -hmm. in, in compassion, and I've... I've demonstrated to myself time and again that, that when I'm unhappy or I'm fearful or I'm feeling sorry for myself or what have you, the 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 most sure thing that I can do to make myself feel better is um, is to be compassionate to someone else, to do something yeah. kind mm-hmm. for somebody else. Exactly. And this is based on meditative traditions, so it goes way, way back. And... Um, the proof is in the pudding. If you do it and you feel better and you are better able to take care of yourself, well, hey, do it again. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. what I want to do is um, I want to bring in our other guests into the discussion because the reason why I have these two people together is I thought that their strategies for living life, because this is really a life strategy. This is not only about uh, weight loss. Their strategies, I felt, were synergistic and on the same wave. Um, I want people to learn how to embrace their health. Part of it is weight loss, but I want you to learn how to embrace your health. And I realized that when I was in medical school and I had Western training, nobody ever talked about this type of stuff. I was taught to identify the disease, give the medicine, cut it out, do whatever I had to do. But actually teaching somebody how to think about their health and how to participate in it, foreign to Western medicine, okay? I'm God because I'm the doctor. You're the peon patient. You do what I say. Don't talk to me. This is how Western medicine works. And Americans fall pretty lockstep into that. But guess what? That hasn't been working well. So now we're beating ourselves up, and we need to figure out ways to stop this type of behavior, not just in our health but in all areas of life. Well, I'm going to introduce to you... This gentleman, I must have listened to his voice hundreds and hundreds of times because I have the audio CD of The Secret, and The Secret talks about the law of attraction. And he's going to come on and pronounce his name and then tell us a little bit about his name. I hope he doesn't mind. He is the author of this book, The Sedona Method, and his name, I believe, Hale Droskin or Jowoskin. He's going to correct me and tell me exactly what it is. But let me just tell you, this book, let me tell you how I came across the book. Well, I just, you know, if you understand about the law of attraction, you know things just get, you attract certain things in your life. So one day I was in Barnes & Noble, not feeling so great. I happened to look at the kiosk as I was walking away with the audio CDs, and the secret was there. I said, huh, I've heard of this. And then I picked it up, and I got it, and I realized that, you know what, this is kind of how I've been living my life. But you mean I have control over this stuff? And... What happened also is I've had the opportunity to meet Jack Canfield, and also um, when I had I, I went to Jack Canfield coaching, I was having a particular issue, and my coach recommended that I get the Sedona method. He started recommending this on the phone. So I went and bought the book, and then I said, oh, my God, it's so simple, it's so easy, and it's working. And it worked after trying it after like an hour. So I said, I got to get this man on because there is a section in this book about health. And so I'm going to introduce to you Hale. Hale, are you there? I'm here. Okay, now first you have to pronounce your name correctly for us. Uh, it's Hale Dwaskin. 
dry skin. Okay, they say it wrong on the CD, by the way. I don't know if you oh, know that. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm saying glow skin, but that's what they say on the audio CD. But it doesn't matter because I found you anyway. That's right. <laughs> First, can you just tell me what is the background of your name because it's so unusual? Uh, it's it's actually uh, a name that was given. My uh, family is from Russia and Poland. It's a Russian name, uh, and so it, it, they couldn't pronounce. They, what they came up with is even harder to pronounce, probably. But uh, they, uh, it, it ended up Dwaskin in, in Ellis Island. <laughs> ah, okay. A lot of people have interesting stories like that, and yep. I just want to say to you, when I meet when I meet people that I feel have done something really important in my life, even before I've met them, I want to thank them. So I'm going to thank you because. When I found the Sedona Method and I started doing it, I felt like just everything shifted immediately. And it's just when you find something that helps shift you and get you in a different place, it's, it's, it's something you say, this, this is so easy. Why did it take me so long to find it? Just like something like The Secret, you say, it is a secret. How come nobody has told me about it? For a minute, you get mad about it. Because you realize how simple it is. You get mad that people are really conspiring not to have good things happen to you. But, Hale, i got to thank you for the Sedona Method. I know that you had other people teach you this originally. You go over in the book. But you're the guy who's got it out there on the map. So thank you very much from oh, Dr. Thank Veronica you. Hart. So well, now what I want you to pleasure. do, what I want you to do, though, is I heard the Sedona Method all the time. Explain, give us a little bit of background on what the Sedona Method is, and then we're going to talk about it vis-a-vis wellness and health. Oh, sure, sure. Well, first off, the Sedona Method is a just basically a simple and powerful tool that shows you how to tap your natural ability to let go of any uncomfortable or unwanted thought, feeling, belief. And how it... I'll say right away how it relates to health and well-being, even though we don't treat, diagnose, cure, or even advise about any kind of physical or emotional issue. What, uh, as you know, with your medical background and all the work that you've been doing, the medical science now universally agrees just about that the the body is not in a vacuum. It are it's a body mind, and the and how we relate to our emotions dramatically affects our health. So. What we found empirically and through testimonial over the past 35 years of doing this work is that when people let go of their stress, their tension, their anxiety, their fear, their doubt, all the thoughts and feelings that are holding them back, the, the body tends to get healthier. It tends to have more aliveness, more relaxation. You breathe more deeply. You relax more, more deeply. You sleep more soundly. And often all sorts of physical and emotional conditions that have been there for a long time start to clear up. And that's without us trying to have that happen. That's just what happens spontaneously. Yeah. Well, I just want to ask, can you give us a, let, let's, I like to call it miraculous, but actually tell people these aren't miracles because now science is showing that how we think really affects us on a microbiological level. Can you give us a story of somebody who healed from something you would never think they would heal from through using the Sedona method? Oh, sure, sure. So not that long ago, I don't remember exactly when, because we get stories like this every day, but a a woman uh, listened to our audio program, and uh, she had been severely depressed to the point that she was on medication since she was a teenager, and she was now in her late 40s. Uh, And... She started letting go, and over just six weeks, her doctor was able to start reducing her uh, medication because all the symptoms were gone. Uh, and, but in addition to that, in that six weeks, she had been estranged from her teenage son for a couple of years. They hardly spoke, even at meals, so it was very uncomfortable. And during that period, she was able to heal her relationship enough with her son so they were actually speaking again. And then meals together, and she um, also went down to dress sizes because she had uh, broken her addiction to ice cream, and all <laughs> that was was just 
from letting go of the stress, the tension, the anxiety, the the fear, the feelings that have been holding her back that whole time. And again, uh, what she described is not at all uncommon. We we get reports every day. Uh, in the last seminar I did, there were uh, two women who uh, each had lost in a, less than a year and uh, had lost over 100 pounds uh, from from releasing all the emotion that had been causing them to overeat. Most of us, when we overeat, are are doing it because of some unresolved issue or feeling that we haven't confronted or dealt with. And the other thing that happens as you let go is you naturally feel more loving and compassionate towards yourself and towards everyone else. Now, you see, people, I, I know what I'm doing here. I got the, these two people together that I don't know if they know or are aware of each other in the universe, but I said, this seems like, and, and let me just tell you how this happened, because, you know, I believe in the law of attraction here. I said, I, I just decided after reading that I, I, I would like to have Hale on the show. But I said, who else am I going to have on the show with him? It's just such a different method than practically anything out there. Who's going to fit with that? Well, you know how the law of attraction works. As I'm surfing the Internet, all of a sudden I come across Jean. So here, and, and I say, Russell, see if she'll do the show. I know, you know, it wasn't, we, we, we didn't give her a lot of time and everything like that. And, of course, she said yes because here's, you want, the law of attraction says she needed to be on wellness for the real world. So let me just ask Hale, and we're, and we're going to have go back and forth between you and Jean, too. You talk about um, the nine emotions. I guess you call them, in your book, Nine Emotional States. Can you just briefly go over the, the scale of the nine emotional states oh, and sure. why that's important? Oh, sure. Uh, most of us, uh, uh, first off, emotions are just that. They're, they're emotions. They're not facts, and they're not us, and we can let them go. And I just today someone told me that from watching our new film, he was able to get that he wasn't his emotions. And just that one thing radically transformed his life. So one of the things that we discovered through doing this work is that these emotions, it's, the word emotion is actually referring to energy in motion. That's all that emotions are. They're just energy. They're not right. They're not wrong. They're not good. They're not bad. But they have certain energetics or flavors to the densest emotion that we experience, the one that's most self-involved, the densest, the ones with the most holdback, the one where we are least able to deal with life is an emotion that we labeled apathy. And apathy includes feeling hopeless, giving up, depressed, uh, and all those similar emotions. And that is the densest emotional state. And then moving up from there is grief. Now, most people never thought grief was up from anywhere. But actually, grief, even though it hurts, has a lot more energy in it <laughs> than apathy. And grief is sadness and loss and loneliness and things like that. And then a little higher energy is fear. And fear is wanting to strike out, but not striking out because you're afraid of consequences. It's also holding in mind the exact thing you don't want and and hoping it doesn't happen, thereby attracting it. So. Fear has a little more energy, but it's still very dense and very destructive uh, to our body-mind. And then a little higher energy than that is the energy of lust. Lust is a transition energy. Very often, the lust energy is what helps us get out of apathy, grief, and fear. But it's just a stepping stone. Lust is the feeling of I want it, but I can't have it. I want it, but I shouldn't have it. I want it, but I don't deserve it and many other thoughts like that. And lust and that also by the, to the weight. <laughs> yes, exactly, I was about to say. And that often very much relates to, to feeling overweight or being overweight because we're not satisfied when we eat because of the lust feeling. You know, one cookie isn't enough, two is better. Two isn't enough, four is better, and so on. And, and it goes with every food. And then we keep eating to the point where we're bloated and feeling really unhappy with ourselves. And then a little higher energy is anger. Anger is still destructive, but it's, it's actually less destructive, believe it or not, than apathy, grief, fear, and lust. It has, it's still destructive action, but at least it's an action. 
even in lust often we hold ourselves back, but in anger we're starting to move. And then a little higher energy, but still with a hold back, is pride. And pride basically is, approve of me fast because I'm not sure I can do this again. Or it's looking down on everyone else, thinking you're somehow special. And the funny thing about pride is we can have it in all the other emotions, too, because I <laughs> met a lot of people who are very proud of how depressed they were. Oh, yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so all the all those emotions that I just described, apathy, fear, grief, lust, anger, and pride, are all varying degrees of hatefulness, varying degrees of I can't, varying degrees of selfishness, varying degrees of pullback. Then as you move up energetically, you start moving into a totally different energy. The next energy level is courageousness or courage. And when you're solidly in the middle of courage, you're 50% I can and 50% I can't. You're 50% selfish and you're 50% selfless. You're 50% destructive and you're 50% constructive. So as you keep moving up and letting go, you start to move in from courageousness into acceptance. And acceptance is just a love and a sense of compassion and allowing for all that is and varying the colors of that. And then as you let go and move up, you, you, you actually you start uncovering that that peace or stillness or oneness or being that you are, uh, and then so apathy, grief, fear, lust, anger, and pride are covering over our natural state of courageousness, acceptance, and peace. And what happens as you use the Sedona method, as you let go, you you naturally move. Uh, out of apathy, grief, fear, lust, anger, and pride, and naturally into uncovering and living that courageousness, acceptance, and peace that's at your core. Yeah. Well, uh, one one of the things that I found about the Sedona method is it just was so simple. It was so (laughs) simple in that you go through asking yourself these questions. And... You can, Hale can go over a few of the questions that you ask, but you're asking yourself these simple questions, and it seems like you're asking your questions over and over and over and over again, and you're just like, first thing you feel like, this is really stupid. But then all of a sudden, yeah, you feel like it's stupid. But here's the other thing that's interesting about it. You might say, can you let go of that? Can you can you forgive yourself for that? Or can, And the answer may be no. I can't. Can you let go of that anger? No. Uh, there were things where I said, no, I still want to be angry about that. I'm not ready to let go. Guess right. what? Even when you say no, you start to let go of it, which is that's, just interesting. That, that's absolutely true. Uh, two things. First, let me just respond to the first thing you said. That part of the challenge when you first learn about uh, what we teach is how simple it is. Most of us are used to complexity. We make our lives complex, our relationships complex, our businesses complex. So our whole society is based on complexity. And But at the same time, there's a principle called Oxman's Razor in, in both in science and in business. And usually the simplest, simplest solution or simplest answer is usually the most effective one or the most accurate one. And... Part of the power of the Sedona Method is how simple it is. There aren't complex processes that you need to remember. They're just, because letting go is natural, it's very simple to do. It's so simple that we miss it until we po- it's pointed out to us. And children do this naturally up until, or until we, we train it out of our children. They all do this naturally, but because it was unconscious, we can train them out of it. But when you reacquaint yourself with it as an adult, you never lose it again. Uh, uh, And then the, I already forgot the second thing you mentioned. Oh, simple, and what was the second thing you said? Oh, I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) About can you let it go? Oh, Is that right about can you let it go? Yes, again, this is true with any process. I'm sure Gene would agree with this too. Often uh, where we get stuck is we're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest with ourselves in our in our relationships. We're not honest with ourselves in our diet. We're not honest with ourselves about how we feel. And this lack of being straight with ourselves causes us to stay more stuck. But what we found with the Sedona Method is when you're asking these simple yes or no questions that help you 
start to dissolve this inner sense of limitation, all you need to do is be honest. Even when you say, no, I, I don't want to let go or I can't let go in this moment, often just that honesty is enough to, to ha- have the, release, the releasing or letting go ha- start to happen spontaneously. Because, again, it's natural, so you don't have to force it. You don't have to make it happen. And just being honest with yourself is such a huge relief that often it, it produces a very profound effect. Yes. And the, and the interesting thing that you talk about is getting to the point where you become what you call it is hootless. I'll call it the whatever factor. And <laughs> I, I think it feels good to the person who's doing it, but the rest of the world I think is very disconcerting. I get to the point where I'm just like, whatever happens, I, I don't really care. what. Now, it's not that you don't care, care. It's not that you lack what we're talking about with gene compassion. It's just what you have is, like Jack Canfield says, you have a high high intent, but lower no expectation. You say, whatever happens, I'm fine with it. And you really are fine with it. And you get to that point where you go along in life, something happens, and you say, okay, I'm just going to let it go. And right. you do, and you feel like, well, I don't care one way or the other what happens. And it's not that you don't want these good and positive things to happen. It's not that you want bad things to happen. It's just that whatever's going to come to you, you start realizing that how you feel about it, if I beat myself up about it, if I worry about it, really isn't going to make a difference at all. So why am I doing that? So whatever. <laughs> exactly. And, and again, uh, what happens naturally is that, that at our core, we're already whole. We're already complete. We're already enough as we are, but we live so much in our drama and in our story about the way it was, the way it might be, and the way it should be, which usually has nothing to do with the way it is, uh, that uh, when you start to let go, you naturally allow what is to be the way it is. And that's so liberating, so relaxing. But at the same time, it liberates the power you need to make positive change. When you're resisting what is, when you're fighting with what is, when you're at war with life, which is the way most of us live, then it's very difficult to take constructive action. We're always reacting. But when you're at peace with the way things are, it's, you're, you no longer feel stuck with the way it is. And even though it's counterintuitive, most people think they need the agita or the, the anxiety, the anger to motivate change. But all it does is motivate suffering. When you welcome all that and you see what's beyond it, then you naturally move for what's for your highest and best good and for the highest and best good for everyone around you because, again, the more you let go, the more you naturally uncover your own compassionate nature. You don't have to effort at it. You don't have to force it. You don't have to make it happen. You, you love yourself and you love others spontaneously because you're letting go of all the mental suggestion and noise that distracts you from that. Yes. Now, we're having this touchy-feely discussion, the show, this is wellness for the real world. I want to break this down into something that the girl in the hood and the girl in the trailer park that are sizes of the house and the trailer can relate to. So let's put this in terms and in a way, both of these things, both with Gene and Hale, in ways that the real people, the real world can understand it. So let's bring this back to health, okay? Oh, sure. Let's bring it back to weight loss. Let's first start with with health, and I'm sure Gene has the same kind of thing with health and being compassionate. People are ill. You have chronic fatigue syndrome. You feel like crap-a-doodle all the time. And this just happened to me. Or um, I, I, I got the diabetes, or I got the cataract, or I got the cancer. The, can- the breast cancer just struck me, and now I've got one booby. Okay. How do you use the Sedona method to get rid of that? And then we're going to go over to Gene and feel good. How do you use compassion to deal with that type of thing? So, Hale, how do you use the Sedona method to well, make you feel okay with what's going on, and then start to move towards health out of these horrible conditions. Well, well, first off, uh, the word dis-ease, if you break it down, disease is dis-ease. So most illness is contributed to or exacerbated by our, our reaction to it. You know, we can be as big as a house and be at peace, or we can be as big as a house and be in turtle conflict. 
Most people are afraid to be at peace about being overweight, for instance, because they're afraid they won't lose it. But the exact opposite is true. And again, I, I mentioned earlier in the program, I, I actually know, probably know of at least 100 people who've lost over 100 pounds from letting go. And the reason is, is as you get more at peace, as you are more loving and compassionate naturally towards your body and your mind the way it is, then you have the energy to do something about it. I recently, uh, well, actually, I can just share a personal experience. When I, uh, I used to be quite a bit heavier, and uh, w- uh, my wife used to kid me because I thought exercise was getting a massage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what happened is, as I did the, my own releasing work, uh, uh, I now enjoy exercise to the point where. I do some sort of physical, I, and I so I got massages regularly, but I exercised, you know, once or twice a month, whether I needed to or not. That was on a good month. Uh, so, you know, I had a few hours of exercise a month, maybe, if I was lucky. Now I uh, I do uh, yoga, I do qigong, and I do other exercises for no less than maybe an hour and a half a day. I used to hate it all, and now I love it. And all that came from letting go and being uh, feeling more loving towards myself and my body, which happened naturally from letting go. So it's incredibly practical. And the other thing is, often when we have an st- extreme medical problem like cancer, the, uh, it is so debilitating not just the symptoms, but all everyone's reactions to it, everyone's thoughts and feelings about it, dealing with the medical establishment, on and on and on. But when you allow yourself to let go of all the angst, and all the anger, and all the fear, and all the frustration, and all the hopelessness, and everything else that comes up, then two things happen. You're supporting your own, your body's natural healing process, but also you deal with the medical establishment in a very different way. Uh, I had practical experience with this when my father was in the hospital years ago with cancer uh, uh, I was able to be much more helpful to him because I was relaxed and calm and I actually prevented twice the, the hospital he was in the hospital for a few weeks because he because uh, of some extreme problems with cancer and twice they were going to do things that I knew were totally inappropriate and because I had let go I was able to compassionately and lovingly intervene and help the, the doctors and nurses not make a huge mistake. So you feel empowered as you let go. You feel more able to not only take responsibility and take charge of your own life, but as you let go, you find that people naturally are more willing to do what's for everyone's highest and best good around you. and. You don't have to fight with them to get them to do the right thing. They, they naturally, spontaneously, and effortlessly want to do it. So what happens as you let go is you'll find that you'll start to stick to the diet. You'll find that you'll start exercising. You'll find that you're, uh, you'll start loving yourself as you are, even if your body has been maimed, which a lot of medical science, that's part of what it causes. And... At the same time, uh, because you're loving yourself, feeling more compassionate towards yourself, you're more accepting of how you are, you're, you're much more likely to heal much more effectively. And again, I, I'm not, I can't guarantee that, but I'm just telling you what I've noticed doing this work since 1976, that it's happened for thousands and thousands of people. Yes, and I think that when people are having these major challenging illnesses that nothing seems to be working, that seems hopeless, why not try something a little bit different that maybe you've never heard of? This is certainly not something that's going to hurt you to try, and so why not try it? Now, one thing that you talk about, Hale, are five steps for coping with illness and discomfort. I'm going to go over them. There's one that I think is a couple that I think are really just, like, interesting and people need to embrace. Be open to the possibility of healing, number one. Number two, love yourself as you are. That's what we've been talking about on this show with Gene and Hale. I'm going to bring Gene back in in a minute. Going from whys, W-H-Y apostrophe S, which means questioning, to whys, W-I-S-E, okay? So 
stop questioning and realize there's something bigger going on. Going beyond the diagnosis, talking about people that they diagnose, they, they, they so identify with whatever their illness is. I think there's some people who are afraid to get well because they don't know what they're going to do when they get well. If they're not the person with the cancer or the person with the migraine or the person with the diabetes, they think they're going to lose themselves and not get the sympathy. Letting go of your physical pain and symptoms, that's number five. Um, but I, I think the most interesting one to me in this is going from the whys to the whys. So, Hale, can you comment sure, on how I'll we can happy. stop questioning and how do we stop questioning why me, why me, why me, why, why is this happening? Well, I, I, that's a really good point. We live in a society where most of us live from the neck up. We're talking heads. We don't even realize we have bodies half the and that's part of the reason there's so much uh, that we can allow our bodies to get as out of balance as we do is because we're ignoring them. We're looking at what we think, and we're trying to analyze it with our minds instead of following our hearts. And what happens is when you're wanting to figure things out, when you're wanting to understand it, when you're wanting to know why you're sick or what, what you should be doing about it, you're looking away from the answer in order to try to find the answer. Let me explain what I mean. That it, with wanting to figure it out, with wanting to understand it, there's nothing wrong with having the answer. In fact, it's always right here, right now. In my experience, every each and every one of us is is all knowingness. But we look away from that, and we look to the expert, or we look to the past, or we look to the internet, and we look away from our own knowingness to try to find the answer. And we call that wanting to understand it or figure it out. And we do that especially with our problems, including when we've gotten some sort of diagnosis. And uh, there's a weird thing about that, and that the only reason we're wanting to understand our problems or our issues or whatever it is that we're wanting to understand is because we're planning to have the same problem again. If we weren't planning to have the same problem again, we wouldn't need to understand it. So what that means is we often hold on to the problem until we figure out why we have the problem. And and it doesn't work to do that because the more you hold on to wanting to know why you have the problem, the more you're simply suffering with the problem. So when you let go of wanting to know why, often the insights come naturally and spontaneously. You don't have to force it. And at the same time, it may not matter because when you let go, the energy starts to flow. You're, you become, feel more alive, more at ease more relaxed, more open, uh, you're, you, you actually can feel your body coming back to life. And and you, that all happens without you needing to know why. If there's something you need to know why about, it simply occurs to you spontaneously. Interesting. Well, thank you for that. Now, Jean, I want to yeah. bring Jean back into the discussion because we're talking about weight loss. So we've had, a, I think Hale gave us a great, explanation of how our minds are working. You're also a psychotherapist. And let's talk about more weight loss, okay, because we're talking about the compassion diet, the self-compassion diet. This is Jean's book. You're talking about a couple things. I mean, I want to I define some of these touchy-feely things. First of all, you talk about some strategies for uh, self-compassion, but you also talk about things like hypnosis and mindfulness and social support and all this type of thing. And I look at all these terms and I always say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean exactly? So, Jean, give us a little um, rundown of the types of strategies that you're teaching people to lose weight, which tends to go hand in hand with learning about this letting go. It's true. I talk about four proven routes to sustainable weight loss in the self-compassion diet. The first and most important one is self-compassion, treating yourself like a friend or a loved one. Um, But I also talk about self-hypnosis, mindful eating, and group support. So what is self-hypnosis? We all know what that feels like when we get lost in a good book or a movie where you focus your attention, you naturally deepen your breathing, and you open your mind to new ideas and experiences. So that's self-hypnosis in layman's terms, regular language. 
Mindful eating is paying careful attention to the everyday activity of eating with as much acceptance and as little self-criticism as you can. That's mindful eating. And social support is simply finding people who you like, people to help you on your journey for weight loss or for any healthful um, activity, any um, improvement in well-being. So it's, it's social support is people helping people. And each of these proven routes has scientific evidence behind it to support that these are all good ways to get to the same point, which is calmer, uh, wiser, and less emotionally reactive, so you're less likely to indulge in emotional eating and more likely to nourish yourself. Okay. Now, this mindfulness thing, this mm-hmm. is 2011. Everybody's talking about mindfulness. And I'm like, okay, what is that? What are you talking about? You said being paying really close attention to what you eat. Well, guess what? When I did Weight Watchers and I measured and weighed my food, I paid really close attention to what I was eating. Is that what you're well, talking you about? Well, you weighed and measured it. You weighed and measured it, but did you taste it? Did you smell it? Did you um, <laughs> notice what happened when you were digesting it? Um, and how the taste changed bite by bite. Did you pay that kind of attention, or did you just eat your points and then say, well, I must be full because I had all my points? Oh, you're not full when you're on any of these things. You're starving. Starving! Okay. Yeah, if you're starving, then uh, if you paid attention, you'd think, hmm, maybe I need to eat a little bit more. Maybe I need to satisfy myself. Eating more is what got you in trouble. So... Well, well, actually, the the opposite is true. Undereating is the problem. Most dieters go for periods of time during the day or for weeks on end not eating enough, and they set themselves up with this deprivation to overeat um, because they're starving, and it's hard to make healthy decisions when you're starving. Yeah. Well, I've, I've noticed myself that I eat what I want when I want, um, mm-hmm. And that includes if I feel like having, like over the weekend, I had like this big cheesecake. <laughs> mm-hmm. But but because I eat what I want when I want pretty much, it's yes. not like I crave it. And now that I've had it, I don't know when I'm going to have something like that again because I had it and I allowed myself to have it. And I don't beat myself up over it. Now, I did happen to mm-hmm. run like 10 miles after that, but. <laughs> Well, it sounds like a little bit of beating up there with the 10 miles. Yeah, but I'm training for a marathon, and I'm doing doing it for charity. And so everybody's got to go on the Blog Talk Radio and click on and support me. I need money. I'm doing it for teaming training for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I'm putting my little commercial in here because I I Hmm. forgot about it. I'm supposed to mention it. Oh, right. You're a marathoner. I'm I'm doing a marathon, but I do this for charity. But I also do it because I just found that, First of all, we know from you know from studies that exercise, aerobic exercise, lifts your spirit. So I always call it mm-hmm. moving meditation. I find it relaxing, and I just you know found it. Originally started running for weight control, but then just decided you know what this feels good when I finish doing it. And you keep going, and then I found a charity that I do it for. And you meet people. Let's talk about social support. Yeah, we all talk, yes. we all talk that we like to run so that we can eat whatever we want. <laughs> But yes, I've heard well, that know, from Veronica, Marathon. Go ahead. You know, Veronica, I think you actually are a mindful eater, in my opinion, if I know you well enough. Because I've seen you. You'll sit down. You'll have a – the first time I ever met you, you had a huge bacon cheeseburger with fries that, you know, I would have had trouble with. Um, and you'll do that once in a while. You'll have your Popeye's fried chicken, but then you won't have it again for a long time because you know you don't need it, and you, you listen to your body, and you don't really like that fullness sensation, but you like the, you know, you like treating yourself once in a while. So I think you actually are a practitioner of mindfulness. <laughs> well, I, I do. Yes, I believe, I believe so, but I, I, I always ask these questions because, I hear the term all the time. It's thrown around quite a lot. And I always think, what does that person mean when they're saying it? And I want people to understand what mindful eating means. It's not just paying attention to weighing and measuring and throwing the food back. It's a little bit more than that. It's, you know, really thinking about it. But also, like you talked about, you know, how you've watched me eat, I'm going to have the indulgences 
when I want to have the indulgences and it's not a big deal because I'm not having that every single day. But guess what? I'm not having it every single day because I don't even desire it. So, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I feel like it's not being compassionate to myself to eat that because I realize how bad it is. I'm like, I'm not putting that stuff. I love me. I'm not putting that in my body. Okay? So that, that's, that's what I think. When you really start to love yourself, some of these things you are not going to do on a regular basis because you love yourself so much. So now, social support. I talk a lot about social support. I talk about how I meet my friends, Judy through doing a marathon, Bonnie at the gym, um, some new friends through martial arts. And social support. Talk a little bit about how can one develop social support for weight loss. Well, the trick is to gravitate toward the people that you're attracted to, to use the law of attraction. So if you're attracted to a traditional diet group and it feels like the right place for you because you have friends there and you're learning interesting things, then that could be great social support for you. Other folks find a traditional diet group off-putting and would rather enlist the support of friends and family or pets even, you know, go walking with a dog every day. Um, The idea is to find what works for you. And as I said, it could be anyone from a personal trainer to a psychotherapist to your dog, Fluffy. And when you have regular support... It's easier to lose weight and keep it off, and it's a heck of a lot more fun. Uh, you don't have to go it alone. Sure. <laughs> and I'm not only gym, that, it helps with... my friends, it's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more fun, and it helps with health issues as well. So getting support from your friends, a little help from your friends, you can also potentially say goodbye to high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and other indexes of poor health, if not hasta la vista to medications for other conditions. Sure. Well, Mm -hmm. I want to thank you, Jean, for the self-compassion diet. People, go out and buy this book. You need to learn how to do this. For people who've learned how to lose and maintain weight, they've learned this on their own somewhere, like Jean learned it. She put it in a book so people can read it and learn it like they're in school. A lot of the rest of us have learned it just through realizing it one day, saying, hey, you know, when I relax and I back off, things seem a lot more easier, and all of a sudden I'm releasing my weight. So, Jean, Mm -hmm. I want to thank you, the self-compassion diet. And now, Hale, you you mentioned that you had a film, a new film. What is your film? Oh, uh, the new film is called Wedding Go, and what it is is we've distilled a lot of the work that we've done for the past 36 years into an hour and eight-minute film that both inspires and enlightens and also experientially guides you through the process of Wedding Go uh, repeatedly so that by the time after you've watched it, uh, you'll, you'll feel lighter, happier, more relaxed, more open, more alive, and plus, each time you watch it, you'll feel feel that much more deeply, and you start using the process on your own. So, we basically created this film so that people could quickly and easily start incorporating the Sedona method into their lives in a very powerful way. And it's um, in just an hour and eight minutes. It takes a lot longer than that than to read the Sedona method book. It takes yeah. a lot longer than that for our audio programs. And out of compassion and <laughs> we, we spent a year and a half uh, and a lot of money distilling everything uh, down to a, a very simple, uh, powerful, uh, short film, just an hour and eight minutes, that is sweeping the, the world, actually. It's, it's and where do we get right. this? Where do we get oh. this? We're, we're going to the last minute of the show. Where do we get this, Hayden? <laughs> uh, you can get the film and lots of other information at our website, which is lettinggo.tv, uh, L-E-T-T-I-N-G-G-O.tv. Lettinggo.tv. Yes. Got it. So this has been Wellness for the Real World. With We've had Gene Stain of the Self-Compassion Diet, Go out and get the self-compassion. We've had Hale Jowoskin, the Sedona Method. He is a featured teacher of The Secret, so many of you have heard his voice or read his words, The Secret. 
this has been a wonderful experience because guess what? This is the way to go, people. I mean, this is me, Western-trained doctor, saying this is the way to go. So guess what? Go, Come back next week at 8 o'clock live. Come to the chat room. Follow me on Twitter, Dr. Veronica IMD. Find me on Facebook, Dr. Veronica Anderson. Wellness for the real world with Dr. Veronica next week. Guess what we're going to talk about next week? You know I can only stay away from the subject only so much. We're going to talk about sex. God and sex, what the Bible really says. I have scholars on the Bible. I have a rabbi coming on God and sex next week on Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. I want to thank everybody who's been in this chat room. Dean Hale, thank you very much. Wellness for the Real World with Dr. Veronica. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.